Good morning. It is June 23rd, which means this is our church's six-month anniversary. It was on December 23rd the Dina Community Church had our first official public service because it seemed fitting that the birth of our church could, should correspond to the birth of our Lord. And we gathered and heard the gospel story of God who so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But prior to our first service here, we had been meeting for about two and a half months in each other's homes, sharing our testimonies with one another about how the Savior of the world became my Savior and this person's Savior, and how He found us wherever we had strayed and redeemed us and then began to transform us and the great work of the gospel in our lives. And we began to talk among ourselves of what a church should and could be. We began to voice mottos like, what would it be to be a church that loved others well because we've been so well loved? What would it be like to have a church that there was no games, just church? No dry ice, no mirrors, no dangling pastors, no laser lights, just the gathering of the saints to pray and to worship and to attend God's Word. What if there were no games and just church? Alan said, what if there was a church of the undeniable presence that you could just walk up to a door and see the love that was genuine in a greeter's eyes? That you could come in and feel welcome, whoever you were. That you would just know God is in this place. God is moving in this place. And we've seen that happen for the last two and a half months. And during that time that we shared and we prayed and talked and discussed about forming a church that would be based upon the three great love commandments in Scripture. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving one another as Christ loved us like He gave in the new commandment. And loving our neighbors as ourselves. What if God would form that church among us? We look to the first church, the church in Jerusalem, born on Pentecost, for the template, for the pattern, for the paradigm of what a church should be, what our church could be, and by God's grace, what our church will be. Well, today we begin a new series on the church that will carry us through the summer. And we want to begin at the beginning with the first church in Jerusalem born on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to see three priorities of a church and then the tenfold godly characteristics of a church that should flourish as a result if we focus on those priorities. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 where we will begin in, Acts, in verse 42. And as you turn there, I will open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new day. We thank you for the beautiful stained glass behind us, highlighting the cross. We thank you for uh, the breath you loan us, all the things we take for granted, of our blood coursing, our hearts pumping, our lungs breathing, our minds functioning. Father, we thank you this day for the mercies of feeding us and clothing us and giving us homes and families and transportation for the opportunity to gather freely and openly, to sing your praise and not to do so fearfully and silently like in so many countries. Father, we thank you for all you've done in six months. And it makes one want to just weep with gratitude and to rejoice with anticipation of what awaits if we will be faithful to you. So, Lord, we thank you for your inspired word that reveals to us your will. 
And we pray that we would be able to learn from it, that we would believe it, obey it, implement it, that we might honor and please you and be the light that you intend us to be in our community. So we'll ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, we've already seen in Acts chapter 1, Jesus depart his disciples by telling them that the Holy Spirit that had been promised would come upon them to empower them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the outermost parts of the earth because God loves people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he wants the heavenly chorus filled with people from every race and every language, and that is the mission that Christ gave us, and he sent his Spirit to empower us to do this. So while they were waiting, the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, and then as they spoke in tongues in an undoing symbolically of Babel and the confusion of the languages, in an anticipation of the gospel going out into every language, we saw the people, the astonished crowd, listen to this spontaneous sermon of Peter where he explained to them what was going on. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, that God would when they send His Spirit, not just simply upon kings and prophets and judges, but on every man and every woman, on young and old, on rich and poor, on slave and free, on every single person would receive the Spirit and know the presence of God within them moving among them. And then he shared with them that they had crucified their Messiah. <laughs> that the one that God had sent, the one that God had raised, the one that God had exalted, they had rejected and spurned and crucified. So they cried out, what shall we do? And he said to them, repent <laughs> and believe and be baptized as an expression of that repentance and belief and God will send you the gift of the Holy Spirit just like he promised. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church grew from 120, a relatively tight-knit group, to 3120 after one sermon of people that had come to Jerusalem from around the Mediterranean world for the Passover Pentecost celebrations. And now this group of strangers became an instantaneous community. And for 2,000 years since, they have been the model of what a church is intended to be. So that's the context for picking up in Acts 2.42. The they, just to be clear, are the Christians who converted at Pentecost. They are those who admitted to God that you are perfect and I am not. That you revealed your will and I rejected it. That I am in no place to stand before a holy God because I am imperfect and unholy. But you sent your son to save me. And so I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I am imperfect, that I can do nothing to earn my salvation or to contribute to any way to my forgiveness. And I ask Jesus to save me, to forgive me, and I yield my life to him as my Lord. In that simple prayer, someone goes from being an unbeliever to a believer, from an alienated person to a child of God, to someone who is unforgiven, expecting judgment, to someone who is forgiven and adopted and expecting an eternity with God. And it's that simple, it's that gracious, it's that free. And they had done this, and they had gathered. And now we're going to see them prioritize three specific activities. In every organization, you have to prioritize or you cease to accomplish the mission of that organization. So if you're going to be a restaurant, you can have lots of fun festivals and affairs, but if you don't serve and serve, if you don't prepare and serve food that is healthy and tasty, you're going to be an ex-restaurant. If you're a school that's involved in lots of good deeds in the community, but you don't educate a child, you're daycare and you're not really a school. If you're a business that does lots of things for the community, but you don't make a profit, you're about to be an ex-business because you have to focus on certain priorities or you don't function anymore. 
Well, likewise in the church, there are three priorities that must be the focus of every body of Christ. The first of these, it says, they were continually devoting themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Uh, This wasn't just something they did now and again. This was continual, continuous, ongoing. This wasn't just something that they squeezed in. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They made a commitment to engage in this thing regularly. Um, My sister-in-law and her sister, I see, were both here for their 30th year reunion at Denton High School. Uh, One is a triathlete. The other is CrossFit. And as competitive athletes, for as long as I've known them, they are committed to their athletic preparations. Their diet, their sleep patterns, their exercise patterns, everything that they do is committed to excelling in this area of their life. And it's a lifestyle. Uh, Likewise, those who excel in music or in art or in business or in any venue, it takes commitment, it takes dedication. And this is what this church was doing. They were continually dedicating themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching, which became inspired scripture that we know today as our New Testament. Because the Bible is God's word. There is a God and he has spoken and he has preserved his revelation to us in his word. So that if we want to know who God is and who we are and what this world is about and why we're here and how we get right with God and how we run our marriage and how we raise our kids, God has told us if we'll open it and read it and believe it and obey it. Because it is God's word, it is accurate. Indeed, it is inerrant. Because God is all-knowing and makes no errors. God is loving and tells no lies This is the only fully inerrant source of knowledge that we have on this planet. Not your gut, not your instinct, not science, not any other area is as infallible as the Word of God. And because it is God's Word, it is authoritative. There are certain voices that may give advice or suggestions, but the Word of God is authoritative. It is enduring, it is abiding, it is universal. And God gave it to us so that if we will read it and apply it, We will live the full and abundant life that he intends for us. So we must constantly be informing our ignorance with God's revelation, correcting our error with God's truth, embracing our beliefs, not by our emotions, but with what God has declared to be true, and obeying what he has commanded of his children so that if we apply it, we'll have the life that we want that is the life he wants for us. And so from the early age, I tell my children, my job as a parent, as a dad, is to make your life wonderful. That's my basic job description, is I want you to have a wonderful life. And because of that, I'm going to tell you to do certain things. Uh, You will eat your vegetables, and you won't eat another round of chips. You will do your chores, and you won't just simply let your room become a sty, usually. You will do your homework. You will prioritize this. You won't engage in this. You will speak to your mom this way. You won't speak to her this way, because everything that I'm sharing carrying, passing on to them is for their benefit, is for their good. And if they'll just simply listen and trust me and do what I tell them, I only intend good things for them. And because I'm older than them, I know what is right for them. I know what is good for them. When they follow my advice, their life goes good. When they ignore my advice, their life goes poorly because that's the way good advice goes, right? Uh, When my son was a young boy, he fell in love with action figures. And so we have 
over 100 action figures, and they were the joy of his life for a long season. And then he fell in love with Legos, and that created a conundrum because when he had money at the same aisle in Target or Walmart, you got the action figures, you got the Legos. Action figures, Legos, action figures, Legos. And one time he had been given some birthday money, $20 or so, and he couldn't decide. He looked back and forth, held both in his hands, and he says, Dad, and he gave me the money, he says, you choose. Because he knew that I would make the decision that was best for him. And I didn't take the money and said, ah off to the school supplies. <laughs> I made the choice that I thought was in his best interest. And if memory serves, I probably bought him both because he trusted me. And so God has given us his word because he loves us. And this is the right way to run a marriage. This is the right way to raise a family. This is the right way to run a business. This is the right way to live a life. This is what we need to believe. This is what we have to obey. And if we do it, then we become the people. We become the church. We become the light that God intends us to be both in our own lives, our families, and in our community. But we have to attend to it diligently. And so a church only preaches the Word of God. There will be no other book ever preached from this pulpit. Um, we were involved in a small church that had grown and then declined, and we asked the reason for the decline. And the pastor made two mistakes, one relatively minor, one major. The minor mistake was he grew to bringing a little cassette player and a self-mic. So he would hit play back in the days when you had those cassette tapes for the background music, and he would sing solos to the church with his little hand mic and the little tape player. And that was aesthetically disturbing. The bigger issue was he quit preaching the Bible and he taught a six-week series on parenting from a book on parenting, which might have been fine and good advice, but it wasn't the Word of God. And the congregation said, we want to hear God's Word, not any person's Word. We need to hear what God says about parenting and not someone's interpretation of parenting. And at the end of the day, people left the church because he wouldn't limit himself to teaching the Bible. In this church, you will only hear the Word of God preached, period. My primary goal is to preach it accurately and clearly. Uh, I may or may not be engaging, I may or may not be entertaining, but my job is not to impress you or to entertain you. My job is to communicate God's Word to you accurately and clearly. The physician assistant's job is to simply follow the instructions of the attending physician not to make modifications. I am a messenger. I communicate God's word. If you don't like it, take it up with God. If it's unpopular, they can take it up with God. My job is to convey what the Lord has revealed, and that will be the only thing that is ever preached from the pulpit here because that is what the church has always done. If you want my advice or counsel to the best of my ability, I will give you God's advice and counsel. If you don't like that advice and counsel, take it up with God. I have no other. I have no improvement. I can't modify it. I can't alter it. I can't add to it. We are given God's word to communicate God's word, to believe what it teaches, to obey what it commands. And if we do, our lives and our families and our church community and our neighborhood are blessed. So we will be continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching at Deeming Community Church. Secondly, they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, some wonder if the breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper, but in the context of the early church, they would celebrate the two in sync. So basically, they were a community, and they were intentional about it in ways that we'll see further down in the text. Every person becomes a Christian individually. 
no Christian is permitted to live their, live their Christian life individualistically. Every person becomes a Christian individually. No one is permitted to live their Christian life individualistically. We are intended to be a community. We are intended to live our life together. We are intended to love and serve one another. We are intended to support and to pray for one another. We are a family. But it takes intentionality because life gets busy, we get distracted, we get selfish, and because we're all sinners, we irritate each other. So the more you get to know me, I promise you, I will let you down. I will forget your name. I will neglect something. I will be insensitive. I will hurt you because I'm a sinner, and that's what sinners do. But you don't get to avoid me or write me off because of that, because I'm family. And family is committed to one another. And Christians are the family of God. We are the household of faith. If God is our Father, then that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are committed to one another whether or not that is convenient. Now, we've probably all had various embarrassing family members, <laughs> inconvenient family members, painful, provocative family members, but they're family, and we have to live with them and love them and serve them and support them and, compare and uh, share life with them whether or not it's easy, whether or not it's pleasant, whether or not they're enjoyable, whether or not they ever acknowledge it or appreciate it or reciprocate it, it doesn't matter because we are a family and we must fellowship with one another. That's why, not because we have Baptist roots, but because we obey this teaching, that's why we have so many potlucks, is because we're intended to enjoy one another. And for some people, their church family is the best family they have. We are intended to listen to one another and to love one another and to help one another and to rejoice with those who rejoice and to grieve with those who grieve because everything that happens in a body affects the other parts of the body. You wake up in the night, you stub your toe, the whole body grieves. You take a piece of chocolate or dessert, you put it on the tongue, the whole body celebrates. We are interconnected. We are to rejoice and to suffer with one another because we are a family and a fellowship, but we have to be devoted to it continually because otherwise life will get busy We'll get selfish. People will hurt our feelings and we won't be a fellowship any longer. We continually devote ourselves to fellowship. Thirdly, a church continually devotes itself to prayer because we can't do anything that a church is called to do apart from God and God responds to us when we pray. Uh, my dad in his office used to have a couple of different signs. One was a stork swallowing a frog and the frog had its hands around the stork's neck while its body was in the stork's mouth. And the caption read, never give up. And that's an important lesson in life. Even when life is eating you up, hang on to the last and never give up. And the other sign that you had was, in this company, we don't believe in miracles, we rely on them. <laughs> and those were two great signs to have in an office. Well, in a church, we don't believe in prayer, we rely on it. Because only God can transform a life. Only God can open a heart to the gospel. Only God can change a person's mind. Only a God can change a marriage. Only God can transform a person who's been going downhill for so long and renew them in ways that make them a new creation in Christ. And God has answered so many prayers in this church already. Uh, David and I, on the night that the decision was being made whether or not we'd be able to use this facility, uh, David and I walked 
the neighborhood for an hour, and then we sat in that culvert, and we prayed the whole time in the meeting, God, please let him use this facility. Please let us use the sanctuary. Please, please, please. And he did. Uh, God has provided homes. God has provided jobs. God has provided healing. God has provided renewal and restoration. God has done so much already. And it wasn't because we were that shrewd or we had the secret game book to how to run a church, how to start a church, but we knew we didn't. We knew we were foolish. We knew we were weak. We knew we were powerless. We knew we were helpless, and we called on God who could do all things. And God answered because he delights to do that, just like a good parent. You see your child fumbling and stumbling about, and the moment they cry out for help, what do you do? You go help them because that's what a good parent does. So a church must dedicate itself to pray. That's why on WhatsApp, if someone says, please pray, and instantaneously, praying, 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 praying. That's why we created a church directory, so that we can pray for each other and walk through the neighborhoods and pray for the families and lift each other up and all the different needs we have. At Dini Community Church, we will be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. We will be continually devoted to fellowship. We will be continually devoted to prayer because that's what the early church did. That's what the paradigm church did. And in Acts 6, when that fellowship was threatened, when the Hellenistic Jews were being slighted by the Palestinian Jews, and this racism led to the point that there was neglect of the widows in the food lines, and they stepped in and said, appoint seven men among the Greeks, they'll take care of the widows. As for ourselves, the apostles, we will commit ourselves to what? The word of God and to prayer. The fellowship is a priority. We're going to create a new church office, the deacon, the diaconate, to make sure that fellowship isn't ruptured by racism. And we are going to commit ourselves to the word of God and to prayer because those three priorities that are spelled out in Acts 2, that are then reinforced in Acts 6, 2,000 years, 20,000 years, if Jesus doesn't come back, those are still the priorities that a church must focus on if it is to be a healthy, successful church. And if we will do that, Look at some of the fruit that will follow. Let's move down in our text. Um, I'm listening to a book right now recommended by my youngest brother called Atomic Habits. Great book. <laughs> and it's about this incremental change that uh, Greg is out of town. I could get a pilot's opinion on this. But if a plane takes off in San Francisco and its nose is three degrees off, by the time you thought you were going to New York, you're in D.C., and the further you go, the further off you get. That a small variation can lead to a large outcome over time. And so you need good systems. You need good processes. The most successful athletic coach in history, John Wooden of UCLA, he didn't focus on the scoreboard. He didn't focus on national championships. He focused on, do you know how to put on a sock correctly? Do you know how to tie a shoe right? Because if you can't put on a sock and you can't tie a shoe, you're going to get blisters. If you get blisters, you can't practice. If you can't practice, you can't play. If you can't play, you're going to hurt the team, and we can't win national championships. Here's how you put on a sock. And he built in systems, and he became the winningest coach in athletic history. Whatever you think of Bill Belichick, the Patriots are pretty astounding what they've accomplished. Trust the process. Trust the process. Focus on the process. Let the tool do the work, and then you'll get the outcomes you desire. These are the fruits, the outcomes of a threefold process of prioritizing the Word of God and prayer and true Christian community. First, 
God's manifest presence. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. God was active among them in an evident way because they were doing what pleased him. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support the person whose heart is completely his. Let me say that again. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. So God right now is scanning the globe looking for something. Those whose heart is completely his. Those who just want to love God and serve him and do what he tells them. So that he can what? Support them. So that he can strongly support them. And God does. He did in the early church and he does the same today. We want to be a church that sees transformed lives. Uh, This last week, two Chinese pilots gave their life to Christ. What's the number now? Is it 150? This church opens up their foyer on Saturday nights. The Chinese pilots come down and they love on them. They simply show them unconditional love. Let me give you a smile. Let me give you a hug. Let me give you some food. Let me give you a takeaway box. Let me set up a ping pong table. Let me listen. Let me care. Let me help you with your English. I just want to love you because God loves me and I'm to pass on that love. And they have seen transformation take place through that simple act. They just simply loved others like God loved them. We've seen transformations. We can testify to transformations. We want to see other transformations. We can't do it, but God can and He will if we keep his priorities and obey his word. Uh, I have a friend that I went to seminary with, and he went to be part of a church revitalization, so a declining church he was trying to revive. And he said, you could walk down this, they had an annual church photo, and you could see how 50 years ago, there were 600 people. Then five, then four, then three, then two, and in the end, there were 26 people. And the further you walk down the corridor, You just watch the gradual decline and the dwindling and the dwaning of the church. And that ought not be. We never want to look back on a golden age of Dini Community Church because we always want it to be bigger. We always want it to be brighter. We always want to be doing more, being more of a blessing. And we always want the best days ahead of us, right? And we want to have not just five at a baptism, but then a quarterly baptism at five and seven and 15 that are giving lives to Christ because we're here on a mission. We're not just simply here for fellowship and potlucks. We're here on a mission to spread the gospel that will save souls, transform lives, renew marriages. And we want to see that happen. We expect to see that happen. Not because we can program it, but because God will bear that fruit if we obey his priorities. Secondly, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. There was a selflessness that was manifested among the community. Um, We are by nature selfish people because we are by nature sinful people. Uh, Some recent books came out. One was called Ego is the Enemy. Uh, Again, my younger brother recommended a book called Why CEOs Fail. And the number one or the first chapter, the number one reasons why CEOs fail is ego. It's pride. We are inherently selfish people. But when we begin listening to God's word, when we begin loving God's people, when we begin praying for God to make us more like Christ, we become more selfless. And as we do, 
we become more happy because there is a direct correlation between self-absorption and misery. Selfish people are unhappy people. But once you get out and begin serving, begin blessing, you find the truth of Christ's words, it is more blessed to give than receive. 180 degrees opposite of the wisdom of the world. God's a giver. We're made to be givers. We're not naturally givers. But God can make us that way. And we will get the joy of it if we follow God's path. Look at the basis of their selfless generosity. As anyone might have need, they became compassionate. They didn't just simply give to get. They didn't just simply scratch your back so that you'll scratch mine someday. They just saw a need to met a need. Now their hearts became softened. They became compassionate and they wanted to freely share what they had with others. And it wasn't just others that were like them or others that they liked. They reached out to everyone who had need. What was the criteria of their generosity? Need. They saw a need, met a need. It doesn't matter whether or not you're like me. It doesn't matter whether or not I like you. It doesn't matter whether you acknowledge or reciprocate my generosity. Because God looks at us that way. God is merciful and compassionate. He sees that we are needy and frail, and he blesses us. And as his children, we are to do the same. And when we follow God's path, we become that. And everyone is blessed, the giver and the receiver. Fourthly, we see a boldness that day by day they were continuing in the temple. So this Christians, that the people in the temple, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, they had crucified Jesus. And they are his followers preaching Jesus. They begin to persecute the church. And the church still goes to the temple because that's still the house of God in the moment. And there was a boldness, there was a courage, there was a holy audacity that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. I'm proud to be a Christian. I'm not embarrassed to be a Jesus follower because I've seen the transformation in my life. I know the value of the Christian heritage. I see the great legacy that's been left. I see the way that the hospitals in other countries were founded by Christians, the schools, the publishing industries, the freeing of slaves, the liberating of women. All these things were Christian initiatives. We should be proud of that and bold of that and unashamed of that to wear crosses and proclaim Christ. And when we dedicate ourselves to God's truth and to prayer and do that in community to support one another, we become bold in a godly way. Fifthly, there is unity in the church. They were with one mind in this because they were all serving the same Lord. They were all seeking to glorify the same God because they were all filled by the same Spirit, because they were all part of the same family, because they were all getting their values and their truth from the same source. And they were united. They were unified. There was harmony. There was balance. There was a coordination of the parts of the body. There will be a single-mindedness in a church that is devoted to the Word of God and to prayer and to fellowship. And that's what we want. That's what we all want. We want harmony. We want reconciled relationships. We want loving people in our lives. And by God's grace, we can achieve that. Sixthly, there was genuine, joyful love. They were taking their meals together, not dutifully, not begrudgingly, 
but with gladness, with sincerity of heart. There wasn't another agenda that I've just become an Amway salesman, so I'm going to go to your potlucks. Of I've just become an insurance salesman, so I'm going to come to this event. There was a genuineness. There was an authenticity. There was a transparency. There was a, a truthfulness to their fellowship that's detectable. They were glad to be with one another. They enjoyed each other's company. Uh, for the last eight years, my kids have been involved, my daughter mostly, in the Optimus Gym Judo Club. And the Optimus Gym Judo Club was started in 1957. It's the oldest judo club in Texas, and it's a family affair. It was started by Mose Woodson, then it was taken over by Mike Woodson. It was assisted by Shannon Woodson. And now I think there's four or five generations of Woodsons in that club. Five generations. All the help is volunteer, and some of the instructors come more than an hour away just to volunteer their time on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. The people who come, and for you young parents, great tip, $5 a night for the entire family when you show. No monthly dues, no belt test fees, no by child fee, $5 a night, and if you don't have it, who cares? Come get it on the mat anyway. And that has become a family. My daughter talks about her judo family. And they were even saying, you know, you're on Baylor, and as we pass through Waco on our way to tournaments in Houston or in A&M, we're going to come stop at Waco, pick you up. You can ride down, enjoy the fellowship, and they just enjoy time together. They have Christmas meals. They help each other move. They, have, uh, they attend each other's weddings. They're in each other's lives because they genuinely enjoy each other. They've become a family, and the church is intended to be that. We walk on Fridays and we meet in each other's homes after church because we enjoy being around each other. Uh, if you go through the directory, you're going to see about an entire page and a half of browns because we are thick in these parts. When we have our annual Easter lunch, I think there's 55 browns at the current count. And we eat, we fellowship, we play a big kickball game where the ages will range from six months to 65 years. We just like being around each other. And when there's not a holiday or an event, we still get together to play bridge or golf or dominoes or to gather to go see movies because we just enjoy each other. We're a family. It's genuine. It's sincere. And that's what the church is intended to be. Seventhly, a church that is focused on God's word and prayer and fellowship will be a worshipful church. We will love to praise God who does all these good things in us. Because we praise God from whom all blessings flow. This electricity, this AC, who gave that? God did. Thank you, God. Lungs that work, praise God. Eyes that work, friends and family to enjoy, a meal awaiting us on the other side, all those come from our Heavenly Father. Because He loves to give good gifts to His children. He's the Father of lights, the giver of all good things. So we praise him. We celebrate him for who he is. We thank him for what he's done. We look at the redeeming and the saving and the forgiving acts in our life and we just praise him. We worship him because God will always be the focus at Dini Community Church. This will not be a self-help clicker club. Uh, we don't want to sing songs that are primarily about first person us. <laughs> we don't want to exalt any person uh, if we had the most beautiful voice, the most gifted musician, the most articulate pastor, we never want it to be about a person because the church is about God. 
And everything we do when we make about God, He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. It's not anything about us. We're just here trying to serve Him, and we get the privilege of participating in His work. And what we really love to do is to praise Him because He's glorious. He's wonderful. Eighth, a church that does these things will have favor with all the people. Everyone around Jerusalem said, what is it with this new group of people that calls themselves the way? Man, they're always working together, eating together, helping one another, selling their property to give to one another, visiting the sick, praying for one another. What is it about this group? And can I come? Uh, I was talking to a person, he went on a camp out with a Christian group, and of course when you're on a camp out with Christians, what do you do at night? Someone breaks out a guitar, people gather around, s'mores are made, guitarists strum, voices sing, and they said pretty soon these people started coming out of the darkness to sit around the campfire. And he's like, can we join in? Yeah, grab some graham crackers, grab a marshmallow, grab some Hershey's, gather around. I don't know these songs, that's okay. But they were off in ones and twos, in their tents and on the ground. But they heard the laughter. They heard the voices. They felt the warmth, not just of the fire, but of the fellowship. And they said, can I come? Can I come be a part of that? Absolutely. And so one of the reasons why when Katie takes the moms out to play at Dina, it's so that all the other moms who were there with their kids said, how come y'all are having so much fun? Can I come? Absolutely. Come be part of this. That's why we want to start doing pickup ball games at Dina Rec Center and start having silver sneakers classes for the seniors, having more and more events in the community to be a blessing. Y'all are having so much fun. Can, can we come? Absolutely. Now, they may think we're crazy. They may think we're kooky. They may not believe everything we believe. But we want a good reputation of people that love others well, that live our lives with integrity, and that want to love them well if they'll let us. Ninthly, a church that does those things will be an evangelistic church. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And if more are coming to the faith day by day, what are they doing day by day? Sharing their faith. They're sharing the gospel. Because it's the best thing they've ever encountered. It's the best thing they've ever experienced. you got to get in on this. When you see a great movie, what do you do to all your friends? you got to go see this. When you discover a new restaurant, when you discover anything good, what do you do? You start texting, you start calling, you got to be a part of this, you got to go see this, you got to experience this. Well, that's the enthusiasm we ought to have with the gospel. And as we go out and just say, man, you won't believe the prayer that got answered, you won't believe the marriage that got reconciled, you won't believe the transformation here, you've got to come. And people want that. You don't have to know all the apologetic arguments for the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ. No one can argue with a personal testimony. No one can argue with your personal experience of, I was desperate to the point of suicide, and God reached down and redeemed me, and now I'm the most joyous person that most people know. And we just share that. We're not trying to force anything on anybody. We're just making it available to them. We don't have an agenda. I've got a gift. I've been greatly blessed by and I would love for you to be blessed by if you want. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to love you anyway. But I at least want you to know about it. You have to hear about it. I can't not talk about it because it's become the most wonderful thing in my life. It changed my life. Um, when I was in college, not everyone knows this. So I probably hit the nadir. I, I, when my daughter and I were in uh, Washington, 
we were walking around, and Rachel goes, <laughs> she's smiling, she can't believe I'm going to share this. <laughs> she goes, Dad, what is the most embarrassing fashion trend that you ever jumped in on? That's a great question for her daughter Esther, Dad, right? I said, parachute pants. <laughs> With sleeveless Iron Maiden t-shirts. <laughs> and hair down to my shoulders. And a ring, and an ear band. Because I wouldn't jeopardize dad's anger with a piercing, but I'd leave the house, slip on the band, get home, take it off. <laughs> and there was that side of it. And then there was a time that I really got dark and depressive. And I love to just go in, turn off the lights, put on my Pink Floyd and see how dark and deep the well could get. And then one night in my dorm room, feeling discouraged, I played a cassette tape that someone had given me and the pastor gave a message about how God didn't make us to live for ourselves, but for him. And if we were living for ourselves, that's why we were unhappy. And if we would live for him, we would experience the life that he intends for us. And something clicked in my heart, and I got down on my knees, and I gave my life to Christ, and I became a different person. And so several years later, I was in a parking lot, and someone I went to high school with, Matt Farlow, from all the way across the parking lot, he goes, John Brown, you got saved. And he could see it in my face. He could see it in my demeanor. I had become a different person. Why wouldn't I want other people to know about that? And so we become an evangelistic church. And then... We become an open-hearted, welcoming, inviting, embracing church. He didn't just save them. What did he do when they were saved? He added them to their number. Come join the family. You don't know where I've been, what I've done. It doesn't matter. Come join the family. You don't know my junk, my garbage, my chaos. doesn't matter. Come join the family. We're all messed up. I saw a bumper sticker once that says, we're all dysfunctional. Deal with it. <laughs> and there's something really reality of that. Of we're all messed up. We all got problems. We're all sinners. Let's come do that together because we can help each other. We can support each other. We can pray for each other. We can love each other. We can forgive each other. Be patient with each other. But Dina will be a welcoming church. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Blue, tattooed, it doesn't matter. We will love you no matter who you are because God loves you no matter who you are. And if you will give your life to Christ, you're part of the family. And God chooses whom he adopts. We don't get to pick who gets into the family. God does. Our job is to welcome, love, and embrace whomever God adopts into his family. If that's inconvenient, if you liked being an only child, tough. If you liked being a threesome, so we know a family that, um, amazing family, they had three kids of their own, and then they just adopted five siblings. And so they went from this kind of model dad, model mom, model life. He's a physician at Southwest Medical Center, studied at John Hopkins, brilliant physician. And they adopted five kids from a horrible background, multiple, I mean, multiple parents, all kinds of abuse, all kinds of neglect. And they went from being kind of the idyllic family of five to we got a lot of struggles and... There's five plus three plus two. Wow, there's nothing convenient about that. Restaurants, movies, hotel rooms, vacations. All life changes. And there's a lot of hurt there, and there's a lot of wounds there, and there's a lot of baggage there. And they said, God took me with my wounds and suffering and baggage, and he fixed me. And we're going to open up our home and our family to do the same with others. We will not discriminate at Dunia Community Church. We will be a loving, 
welcoming, embracing church because we serve and worship a loving, embracing, and welcoming God. That's the fruit. So how do we do it? We can't be distracted from our three main priorities. Here at Dini Community Church, in our one-year anniversary, our 12th-year anniversary, our second millennia anniversary, by God's grace, we will be continually devoting ourselves to Scripture. Individually, in our studies, from the pulpit, in our council, we will dedicate ourselves to the Word of God. We will be continually devoting ourselves to fellowship because we are a community. We are a family. We are a fellowship. We are a body. And we will live our Christian life together. And we will be continually devoting ourselves to prayer because we are desperately dependent on God for everything. We are foolish. He is wise. We are weak. He is strong. We are selfish. He is selfless. We need, to, we need His grace, which means we need to pray. And we will be a praying church. And as we are faithful in those priorities, as we believe the system, as we follow the process, by God's grace, we will see this fellowship become a place where God's presence is manifest the church of undeniable presence. We'll see God changing lives and families. We'll see this community better and brighter because of Dina. I don't want Frank Borman Elementary School to be the second lowest rated school in the district anymore. I want to tutor. I want to help teachers. I want to help administrators. I want to help parents. I want to help that school become a great school. And then I want to put those kids on a path to succeed at Calhoun Middle School and then Denton High School and then at UNT or TW, wherever they go. I want this world to be a better place because of Dina. Because that's why we're here. We will see a growing selflessness among us. A humility. A not merely looking out for our own personal interests, but for the interest of others as well. We'll see a compassion that can't see a hurting person and not hurt with them. And not try to help however we can. We will be a bold church. And that's going to get harder in the years to come. Uh, America is moving in a more hostile Christian, direction against Christians. We will become increasingly marginalized. It's going, to, it's going to be costly to be a Christian. You won't get admitted into certain academic programs. You won't get certain jobs or raises. We'll be increasingly mocked or scorned. Um, that's okay. We've got a long legacy of that. But we'll be bold because we're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to those who believe it. We will be a united church. And in truth, uh, as we've talked about praying against ways the enemy will get at us, this is something we've got to be on guard against because churches divide on the drop of a pin. Um, there's a story told of a gentleman on a boat who was washed off in a storm and he found himself on an island. And several years later, rescuers discovered him and they noticed that he had three huts. And they said, well, one person, three huts, what? And he says, well, th this was my home and, and this was my church and this is when the church split. And so we are so sinful that we can split a church all by ourselves, right? And that ought not be. That ought not be. We will be a unified church. We'll be a genuine, joyful, loving church that delights to spend time together because God's put delightful people in our lives. And we want to have play groups together. We want to go out on meals together and vacation together and go walk together and all these things because that's what a family does. And guaranteed, we're going to offend each other. Guaranteed, we're going to wrong each other. 
we overlook it and we forgive it. When I'm the one that wronged you, I ask your forgiveness and I try to make it right. That's how relationships work. We will be a worshipful church. God will be the only one glorified in this church. There will be no human being that gets the exaltation and the honor for anything done here other than God because he does it all. And whatever celebrities may come, whatever gifts may come, whatever talents may come, whatever good may come, God will be the only one that is exalted because he's the one that will have accomplished all of it, however much we may delude ourselves. We want a good reputation in our community. We want people in better homes. We want the lawns in Dino looking better. We want the kids getting better grades. We want lower divorce rates. We want, we want people better because of us. And whether or not they ever accept Christ, we want to be a blessing to them. My serving you, my loving you, my helping you isn't contingent upon your believing what I believe. Now, if you believe, more good will come. <laughs> but I only offer it because I know that. Not because there's a tie, there's a link, there's a catch. We want a good reputation in this community. Oh, your kids do this. Your marriages are like this. Oh, y'all put the bus stops up for the kids so they didn't wait out in the rain. Oh, y'all did this. Oh, y'all were the ones that... Yeah, God did that through us. We want to be an evangelistic church. We're here to share the gospel. We're here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that no matter who you are, what you've done, God will forgive you and make you a new creation if you admit your sin and embrace him as your savior. It's that simple. That's why we're here. And then we will be an open-hearted, welcoming church. And again, there will be no age group. There will be no demographic. There will be no social class. There will be no education level. We want a PhD and a GED right next to each other on that seat. We want to be as diverse as our community. And if no one else will reach out to the Muslim students at the mosque a mile away, we will treat them respectfully and lovingly. And if other people don't know that there's an orphanage three-quarters of a mile from here, we want to reach into Cumberland Orphanage because God cares about those kids. And if no one else cares about single moms, we care about single moms. And if no one else cares about that, we care about them. And they're welcome. And we will love them. And if they join the family, they're in the family. And there will be no marginalization. There will be no second-class citizens. There will be no disrespect of, of anyone made in God's image, much less someone who is a child of God. How do we do that? By keeping our priorities straight. The Word of God, Christian community, and prayer. Um, my wife and I attended a wedding last night. Beautiful wedding. And the dad did something I won't be able to do. He walked. The father of the bride was the pastor. So he walked his daughter down, and then he got up and officiated. And I don't see there's any way that I'll be able to do that. But in his message, he was talking about how marriage is a picture of the gospel because Christ has a bride called the church, and it's the perfect paradigm. And then he challenged the married people in the audience, now's a good time to revisit your vows and to remember what you committed to. And, and I confess when he said that, feeling a little bit of guilt, embarrassment of, man, I've dropped the ball here and I've not done a good job there and I've messed up here. But there was a perfect paradigm. There was a perfect pattern. If you strayed from it, return to it <laughs> and things will start doing better. Likewise, we will fall short at Dini Community Church. You'll be new and we'll overlook you. You'll come in and I won't get to you. You'll come in and I'll introduce myself and you're like, 
dude, that's the third time you've introduced yourself. <laughs> Browns are bad that way. Forgive me. I'll try to do better. But if we want to be the church that we all want to be, the church we dream of being a part of, the church that we have the opportunity to create and maintain, we have to keep our priorities straight. Whatever else we do, we must continually devote ourselves to the Word of God, to fellowship, and to prayer. And may God's grace, may He do wondrous things at Dina, exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we might ask, imagine, or expect. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for this new church. Um, the opportunity to have a fresh foundation, a clean slate, a new start. Uh, we've all been in churches that we would say, boy, I wish they had done this differently and not done that. And now you've given us an opportunity to try to do things according to your template. But we know we're going to stray. We know we're going to get distracted. We know we're going to, at times, not seek your will. At times, we're just going to go our own way. We're headstrong. We're impulsive. We're foolish. So would you protect us from ourselves? In the midst of all the things we could do, would we never neglect the things that we have to do? And as we trust those, as we are faithful in those, as we live those out continuously, would you make this a beautiful church for Christ? Would you make us a temple that is honoring to you? Would you make this a bright light in our neighborhood and community? And by your grace, might we even become a planter of other churches, a model and an encouragement for other communities to go and do likewise. Bless us, guard us, keep us, protect us, we ask in your son's name. Amen.